Parshas Kedoshim. Damer el kol adnas b'nei Yisrael. Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the entire congregation of b'nei Yisrael, the entire nation. V'amart aleim, say to them, Kedoshim to you, you shall be holy. Ki kadosh ani Hashem lekechem, because I, Hashem, your God, am holy. Now, this parasha begins with a very interesting commandment that Hashem gives over to Moshe. Tell the entire Jewish people, every man, woman, and child, that they shall be holy. The first point to really stop on before any chidushim or any great thoughts is that holiness isn't relegated to a select few. There are some maybe different religions or different understandings where there's there are select few that are holy, the priests or maybe the uh, the elite of the people. But in our Mesorah, the way Hashem created the world and the way Hashem wants the world to run, it's the entire Jewish nation who are to be holy. It's not only the Kohanim, not only the Tamirich Chachamim, it's every man, woman, and child. And the mitzvah is given to the entire Jewish nation to be holy. Now, the Ramban explains that this mitzvah is what he calls a mitzvah klolius, a general mitzvah that applies in a very broad, sweeping fashion. He explains, for instance, the Torah has many mitzvahs, how we should conduct ourselves between man and man, specifically in regards to money. So, for instance, the Torah tells us, don't steal, the Torah tells us that if you have a work, a man work for you, you have to pay him before the night settles, how to deal with, with shomrim, how to deal with various business situations, and when it's finished, all of the various details of how to conduct your business affairs, the Torah says, Vasisa hayashavatov, you shall do that which is proper and that which is good. The Ramban explains that that's a mitzvah klolius, meaning to say, not every particular and not every circumstance could the Torah detail. When you're dealing with a situation that's clear, that's obvious, the Torah can give us specific mitzvahs. But there'll be many, many dealings, many, many situations that the Torah can't possibly detail. Everything happens according to the situation, according to the times, according to the people involved. And therefore the Torah gives us a klolius, a general mitzvah, if you're dealing in business, do what's good, what's right, what's proper, go beyond the letter of the law. So too, the Ramban explains, that is the mitzvah of Kedoshim to you. The Torah forbade various activities, various foods, various things. Don't eat this food, do eat that food. Don't do this, do that. When it's all finished, the sweeping, general, broad mitzvah is kedoshim to you. And explains the Ramban, what this mitzvah actually is, is teaching us a fundamental principle. And that is that a person can follow the letter of the law, <clears throat> keep the Torah exactly, and be what the Ramban calls a manuval bershus Torah. He could be a deviant within the letter of the law. For instance, the Torah says don't eat certain foods and do eat certain foods. You could become a glutton. You could eat racks and racks of meat. You could stuff yourself. You could become a person who's very, very focused on his pleasures, on his enjoyments, and still be within exactly the gedorim, exactly the parameters of the Torah. You could be a person who uses certain language, certain foul words, certain expressions, and still be within the exact gedorim, the exact parameters of the Torah. This mitzvah of Kedoshim to you is teaching us, says Ramban, that there has to be a general operative principle, Kedoshim to you, you should be holy. And explains to Ramban what this mitzvah really is, is to be porush. No extras, no going beyond. <clears throat> when the Torah permits foods, eat those foods. Don't be a glutton. The Torah permits a man to be with his wife. It should be with a certain balance. The Torah permits you to drink wine. It should be with a certain moderation. Everything that you do should be moderated, should be used within a certain balance. Don't be a manuval. Don't be a deviant within the parameters of the Torah. Keep controls. Keep constraints. And as a matter of fact, the Ramban says this is exactly what the Torah's Kani means when it says perushim to you. Separate yourself. Don't allow yourself to be totally involved in pleasures. Separate yourself from it. And that is the mitzvah of Kedoshim to you. And if you think about this Ramban, the Ramban is actually quite difficult to understand. Because this is a very often quoted Ramban. It's brought in Halacha. The Mishabur brings in the Bir Halacha. It's something that's considered a very basic principle. Kedoshim to you means be parish. Don't give in to too many pleasures. But it's very difficult to understand. Why? Because the Torah is telling us, be holy. 
Now, <clears throat> not giving in to pleasures, not becoming a glutton, <clears throat> not becoming a hedonist is a wonderful concept, but how does it make me holy? And how is that the <clears throat> sweeping, broad, clolious mitzvah that Hashem gives to the Jewish people to be holy? How does that fit in to the picture? How does that make one Kodesh? And I believe what the Ramban is telling us <clears throat> is a fundamental principle in the human being. The Chassam Sofer <clears throat> in Pesuch Echosim in his opening is an introduction to your day, explains that if a person from the time he came to age began listening to the voice inside that told him what's right to do. Meaning, imagine from the minute that a person came to a sense of Das, he began listening to his Yitzhatov, to his knowledge of what he should be doing, he would grow and grow, and explains the Chassam Sofer that within a few short years, he would reach his level of perfection. If from the moment I came to understanding... I would do what I know is right. I would reach total perfection for me and explain Zachsam Sofa in a few short years I would have done my mission. The problem that we have is that sometimes we listen to that voice and sometimes we don't. <clears throat> sometimes we do what's right and we know what should be done and sometimes we don't. So we end up taking one step forward, then two steps back, two steps forward, then three steps back, and we end up doing a lot of going in circles, and for that reason, explains the Chassam Sofer, it takes 70, 80 years, but if a person <clears throat> were to do everything that he knows that's right, from the moment he came to understanding, within a few short years, he would perfect himself, reach his reason for being here, <clears throat> reach his shlemus. And what the Chassam Sofer is teaching us is, <clears throat> that the human being has been programmed for perfection. Within me is a holy neshama. Within me is a complete idea, knowledge of what I need to reach perfection, and within me is actually all the programming that I need to reach my level of greatness, because that's my neshama that guides me, that tells me exactly why I'm here, that tells me exactly what I should be doing. The problem that I face is that I'm often challenged by desires, by physical needs, by things in this world that pull me away from that which I know is right, good, and proper. So my life ends up being a great contradiction, <clears throat> a great challenge. It ends up being a fight between those two voices where one part of me says, I know this is right, and another part of me says, mm, but I want to do this. I do, I don't, I do, I don't. And I spend my life in utter complete contradiction. I spend my life between these two voices fighting, and I find myself <clears throat> in complete stira. And I believe that's really the answer to, um, to this Ramban. What pulls a person? It's this world. Physical pleasures, desires. And what the Torah is telling us is be holy. <clears throat> if you stop giving in to mostros, if you stop giving in to extras, if you use this world as you're supposed to, your neshama will guide you and <clears throat> will allow you to reach your level of perfection. The Mishra Shasham explains to us that pleasures are tools to be used. A person should use those pleasures, <clears throat> use the hanos of this world, as a vehicle to get closer to Hashem, as a vehicle to reach His level and perfection. And if I would use everything in this world for its right purpose, I wouldn't be in contradiction, quite the opposite. The pleasures and the activities of this world would be aids, would help me, would allow me to reach my level of perfection. And what the Ramban is telling us is that by con- controlling one's desires, one needs, and what happens is the person will naturally gravitate towards holiness, will naturally be Kaddush, because what the Torah is telling us is these last sweeping mitzvahs, these Kaddushim to you, is a mitzvah that will allow you not to become entrapped in pleasures, not to become a hedonist, and by doing that naturally you'll become holy, you'll be Kaddush. And the reality is that Hashem created many, many features in this world strictly for us to benefit from. There are many, many things that Hashem created for us to enjoy, and a person should enjoy them. But that's the point, that are you involved in them because I want these pleasures, because I'm involved in this world? If you use the world that way, you become more drawn into the world, your desires become stronger, your needs for these pleasures become more and more overpowering, and before you know it, your neshama is weaker and weaker, and in the balance in the fight, you become much more hedonistic, much more this-worldly, and much less holy. On the other side, if you use these tools properly, 
if a person recognizes, I need a certain amount of yishavadas, a certain amount of relaxed approach. I need certain pleasures. I need certain things in this world. But I use those as vehicles to get closer to Hashem. Then what happens is you become holier and holier. Those desires no longer grip you. Their grip upon you becomes weaker and weaker. You use them as tools to become closer to Hashem. And within a few short years, you grow accomplished. And I believe that's what the Ramban is telling us. That this is one of those mitzvah klolius, general mitzvah, that brings a person to holiness. Because again, the human being has been created specifically for that purpose, programmed for greatness. What I'd like to do now in this parsha is move over a little bit to read a certain part. There are three and a half psukim in this parsha, which contain eight mitzvahs, which will take approximately three lifetimes to perfect. And it's very interesting because there are many parshas that have no mitzvahs whatsoever, some parshas that have a few, there are some parshas that are packed, laden with mitzvahs. And this particular parsha happens to have many, many mitzvahs. And within a few short psukim, again, within three and a half psukim, we have eight mitzvahs. And these eight mitzvahs are so demanding and so growth-oriented that it literally would take well more than a lifetime for a person to perfect them. And I think they're very eye-opening as to what the human being is capable of and what Hashem expects from us. So what I'd like to do is go through the eight mitzvahs one by one pretty quickly, just outlining them. And then what I'd like to do is sort of get the under the understanding of what it is that they teach us, they show us, and what in fact we really should be taking from, from them. So the Pesach begins, Tzedek Tishpot Amitecha, with righteousness shall you guard, shall you judge your nation. This is the mitzvah of being down the Kavshus, that judge your neighbor favorably, use an, a proper balance. Now this is, again, the common mitzvah, we call it Dan Lekavschus, and what it means simply, the Mishnah Baruch explains, is the following. If I have a Benoni, let's assume I have a friend who's a regular person, and there's a situation that he did. It could be this, or it could be that. It's a kind of situation that it's difficult to know for sure what really happened, what really transpired. <clears throat> explains the Chavetz Chaim, Shemir Shalashen, that that's where I have a chi of daraisa, a complete <clears throat> obligation from the Torah. That is a mitzvah of b'tzedek tish judge your neighbor righteously, judge him properly. Now, <clears throat> if in that case I judge him unfavorably, <clears throat> then I decide, I know what really happened, you know, between human lampposts, I know what, and I judge him lakav chov, I judge him <clears throat> to the <clears throat> obligated side as if to say he did something wrong, then I violated this assay. And the Chavetz Chaim explains that this is one of the biggest causes for Lashon Hara. Why? Because every one of us do things, sometimes it looks good, sometimes it looks bad, and sometimes we do things that are proper, and sometimes we do things that are wrong. But when you look at someone, and you judge them, and you decided that that what they did was wrong, what you may well have done is violated this assay, and you then go and tell people about it, and then lo and behold, what happened is, that you violated this assay and you violated many los assays by speaking Lashon Hara and explains the Chavetz Chaim this is one of the biggest causes of Lashon Hara. So the general category is as follows. If I'm dealing with a Benoni average person, my obligation is if it's equal. In other words, it could be this way, it could be that way. I'm obligated to judge him to the favorable side. If he's leaning towards the, you know, looks kind of shady, looks kind of bad, then it's still a mitzvah. I'm not fully obligated. It's not full assay, but I should. It's a good idea. <clears throat> and then explains the Chavetz Chaim, there's one more level. If I'm dealing with a person who's righteous, a person who normally doesn't do these things, then even if it's nota, <clears throat> even if it's leaning to the kav chov, even if it looks bad, I have a full <clears throat> obligation in the Torah, a full mitzvah assay to judge him favorably. Now, <clears throat> there are many, many examples, and there are even books written about <clears throat> common examples of this happening. It's something that happens all the time. I'll give you one quick example, only because it happened to me, and I, I find it very, very telling. I was once <clears throat> giving a shemuz, and a guy in the front row pulled out his BlackBerry and began texting. Now, <clears throat> to be honest with you, normally I don't pay much attention, and normally I don't really <clears throat> notice what people are doing, but for some reason it caught my eye, and it bothered me. I mean, his mom comes to the shemuz, sits on the front row, and he's sitting there texting. All right, listen, I looked away, began <clears throat> speaking to other people, etc. <clears throat> a few moments later, I look back, and I see he still got it out. Same BlackBerry, texting. 
Oh, my goodness. I would have go a few more minutes, and I look back at him, and again, the blackberry's out there, and he's texting again. Now, in my mind, I'm like, why did you come? You want you come to, to text, stay home. You could just you don't have to be here. <clears throat> if you come, you're gonna come and, and pull out the blackberry and text. So, anyway, it was a kvishas yates. It was difficult for me to contain myself. I just <clears throat> forced myself to look away and I continued the shmuz. Finished everything good and well. Okay, when I finished the shmuz, <clears throat> some people come over to ask questions, discuss, etc. And lo and behold, that this fellow, <laughs> the blackberry guy himself, comes by, and he says to me, "Rebbe, great shmuz." I said, "Oh." And I couldn't resist. I said, you know, I, I'm glad you liked it. I couldn't help but notice that you, you had your Blackberry out during the, the shmooze. He says, yeah, I was taking notes. You want to see? And he showed me point by point that he had taken notes on his Blackberry of every point in the shmooze. And I said to myself, oh, boy, I get it. And that is an interesting example <clears throat> where it's obvious to me that what he's doing, and it's also obvious that I'm wrong, Dead wrong. And this is a mitzvah seidoraisa of betzedek tishvanamitecha. When you see someone doing something, judge him favorably. If he's a benoni, a regular guy, and it's, you know, in the middle, it's hard to know. It's a full mitzvah seidoraisa. If he's a person who's righteous, meaning it's the kind of thing that we wouldn't expect from him, even if it looks bad, I have a full obligation. But here's the point. It's not a nicety. It's not like the Torah says, you know, it's a good character trait. You should work on it. It's an obligation. I'm obligated to judge him favorably, and I have to train myself in this mitzvah. So this is mitzvah number one, B'Tzedek Tishman Amitecha. Mitzvah number two is Lo Selech Rachel Bamecha. Do not be a tail-bearer in your nation. Now this is a major, major love in the Torah, and the Chavetz Chaim explains that it may be one of the most prevalent, may be one of the most serious in the entire Torah. There are many, many essays and many, many los essays involved in not being a talebearer, in not speaking Lashon Hara. Now, it's interesting because what this Pasuk really refers to is two different types of sins. There's something called Lashon Hara and there's something called Rechilis. Rechilis is a talebearer who tells stories that are not true. Like the peddler who goes from one house to another bringing his wares, <clears throat> talebearer brings stories that are not true from one to another. Lashon Hara, by definition, are words that are true. Rechilas and Lashon Hara are both similar, but they're very different in one criteria. Rechilas is not true, <clears throat> Lashon Hara is true. And the Rambam defines the essence of both is one thing. Words that hurt, words that damage. The Torah forbids me from speaking negative reports negative stories about another Jew. It's forbidden. I'm not allowed to do it. If it's not true, it's Rechilas. If it is true, it's Lashon Hara. And the reason why this is such a prevalent and common sin is because we don't recognize the damage involved. We don't realize, but we ruin people's reputations, we hurt their business, we hurt their relationships, and words that we say very innocently, very just sort of like they flip out of our out of our mouths without us even paying attention to them, destroy people's lives and certainly hurt people. And a Torah is telling us this is forbidden. Again, it's not a nicety, not something, you know, think about it, try to be careful about it. It's an isidoraisa, at least one. And explains the Chavetz there are many, many Yisurim that you could be over with one little story. And again, this is an important concept to be aware of. Number three, is Do not stand on the blood of your friend, meaning if your friend is drowning, if your friend is in trouble, you have to get involved, you have to help him. Now this mitzvah I find very, very telling in our common, in the world we live in, in the times we live in. I'll explain to you why. On March 13th, 1964, there was an event that happened that well defined much of where society was holding at the time. In Kew Gardens, in Queens, it was 3 a.m. in the morning, and a young woman, Kitty Genovese, was walking, and she was attacked. A man stabbed her twice, and she screamed out. Now, this is a regular neighborhood, is a residential area. Kew Gardens is a place where from Jews live, as well as many other people. And clearly, people heard. She was in a 10-story apartment building is where she lived, and she screamed out, he's killing me, he's killing me. And many people heard. Lights were turned on, 
<clears throat> people <clears throat> opened the shades, but nobody helped her. No one opened the window and screamed down to the man. <clears throat> no one stopped. She ran away, and the man followed. And she screamed again, He's killing me! He's killing me! For a half hour, she was screaming and running from place to place. And a New York Times front page article reported that 38 witnesses had heard it. Not a one of them called the police. Not a one of them came down. Not a one of them screamed, Stop! And when this was reported, and it was investigated, it demonstrated an interesting phenomena, and that's the phenomena of, I don't want to get involved. Listen, <clears throat> it's not my business, not my trouble, not my issues, I don't want to get involved. And what the Torah is telling us is, Samad al-Dam Re'echa, as a unit, as a body of people, the Jewish people is one. And I cannot say, I don't want to get involved, <clears throat> I cannot say, it's not my problem, I'm obligated not to stand on the blood of my brother, and it means I have to jump in the river, it means I have to do what I can, and it's a concept that's very, very compelling and very, very well defines our relationship as a people. Chazal tells it goes as far, not just as real danger, but even money. If I see a Jew is in a situation where his money is being damaged, potentially lost, I can't just say it's none of my business, it's none of my concern, I'm obligated to take care of him, to help him, it's in this Losa say of Losamat Adam Reacha. And the interesting part is, it could be a person I don't know. It could be a person even I don't like. Meaning to say, if I see someone is being injured, is being harmed, whether it be him or his property or his money, I'm obligated from the Torah. It's not a rishus. It's not like if I'm in a good mood or if I like the guy, I could do it. <clears throat> I have a full obligation from the Torah. Losamat Adam Reacha. <clears throat> do not stand by and allow something bad to happen. I'm obligated to take care of him, and I'm obligated to do what I can to help him. And that's number three. Number four, <clears throat> Do not hate your neighbor in your heart. Now the Ramban explains to us, <clears throat> if I hate a fellow Jew, I violate a losasei, and I violate an asei. If I have a sense about this person, I don't like him. You know something? I really, I, I really, really don't like I I detest this guy. I violated a losase and I violated an asay. Losisna zachicha bavavecha. Do not hate your neighbor in your heart. And v'yahavta recha kamocha. On the positive, I'm obligated to love him. And I want to touch on something that I think is well misunderstood. We're all aware that the second base of Migdish was destroyed for sinas chinam, baseless hatred. And that concept is much, much misunderstood. Why? Because people say... <coughs> Baseless hatred, baseless hatred. But uh, the truth is, none of my hatreds are baseless. I have very, very good basis for why I hate them. I hate them for this reason or that reason or that reason or that reason. And that's exactly the point. The Ramban here explains to us that I'm obligated to eradicate those feelings from my heart. The only time I'm allowed to hate a Jew is if, according to the Torah, there's basis to hate him but he has to be in the category of a Russia, a wicked person, and in our interactions with others, it almost never happens that the guy I'm dealing with is a Russia. Meaning, let's even assume he cheated me in business. Let's even assume that I'm right, which as you're well aware, I'm sure, most of the times, you know, when you come to the Diane, when you come to the judge, and I say I'm right, and he says he's he's right, Really, neither one of us is right. Usually the truth is somewhere in between, but it's very, very rare that either party is 100% justified. But despite that, each of us, when we walk into that courtroom, have 100% knowledge that I'm right and he's wrong, and he knows 100% that he's right and I'm wrong, and that's just human nature. So let's even assume for a minute that I am right. He stole. He cheated me. He stole in business, whatever it may be. The Allah is, of course, that I'm allowed to go to Beisden, I'm allowed to do whatever I can within the letter of the law to <clears throat> extract from him the money that he owes. And certainly, <clears throat> it's a wise idea, if that's the situation, to do just that. But I'm not allowed to hate him. Why? Because the Torah doesn't allow me to hate someone. I'm allowed to hate him if he's a Russia, but stealing doesn't put him in that category. And it's very interesting because that's even if it really is true, and he really did cheat me, and really, <clears throat> he did something that was conniving, 
and nasty and dirty, I'm not allowed to hate him. Why? Because that's not one of the things that happens as a punishment. It's not one of the rules of the Torah, and therefore I'm not allowed to do it. And I think it's a very, very eye-opening concept, because typically the way our hearts work, there are people we like and people we don't like. And when people cross us, we're all human and it's all, you know, that way that we just tend to dislike them and maybe even dislike them seriously, but not without basis, with very good basis. But what the Ramadan is telling us is that basis has to be according to the Torah. And if you hate a fellow Jew, because you have good reason, but that reason isn't recognized by the Torah, well, guess what? That's called losisnas achicha bilvavecha. You're hating your neighbor in your heart, and what you're doing is violating a losase, and it's forbidden. And what that means in plain language is, just like I don't eat cheeseburgers, I don't drive on Shabbos, I don't wear shatnas, so too it's forbidden for me to do this. It's an isser. It's not like try to work on yourself and really should work better. It is 100% forbidden. And again, this is another one of the lavim that we're not as, uh, maybe not as either comfortable with, we're not as familiar with, we don't spend as much time, but it is a full lav in the Torah. And again, in the end we'll see that why specifically requires so much work. Number five, <clears throat> Simply stated, give your friend rebuke, give your neighbor rebuke, and do not bear a sin for him. Now, I believe that this is the single most mispracticed mitzvah in the entire Torah. Meaning, someone does something wrong. They talk in shul, or they, whatever it may be. Right away, many people are quick to point it out to them, to show them the wrong ways, and they feel holy and proper in their doings, because, huh, I just did a mitzvah. The Torah says, I'm obligated to give him reproach, to give him musr. Okay, I'd like to share with you that does not mean that you should condemn or you should criticize. I'm obligated to feel a sense of achdus, of one nation with this person. I'm obligated, therefore, to help him. As I can't turn away from him when his money is being damaged, when his life is being damaged, I can't turn away from him when he's hurting his soul. And I'm obligated to do what I can to help him. But condemnation and criticism is not helpful. We all hate criticism. We all hate being condemned. And what it does is engenders bad feelings, causes a person to distance himself, and criticism never works. Criticism is an evil. Criticism is disastrous. Criticism is one of the most damaging things that a human being can ever engage in. And that's not the mitzvah. As a for instance, a Rav once came to the Chavetz and said, I don't know what to do in my town. And the Mechali Shabbos, they do all kinds of veras, they eat treif. And I yell at them, I scream at them, I yell and I yell, and they don't listen. What could I do? Chavetz said to this person, tell me, you put on tefillin this morning? I said, of course. Tell me, when you put on tefillin this morning, did you yell? Why should I yell? Did you scream? Why should I scream? Well, if you don't yell and scream when you put on tefillin, why do you yell and scream when you do this mitzvah of to What the Chavetz was saying was a very clear point. means use whatever vehicles you can to help this person. If yelling and screaming causes the exact opposite result, well, guess what? It's not fulfilling the mitzvah. And to fulfill this mitzvah properly, you have to be very, very wise, very, very astute. You have to know how people work, you have to know how relationships work, and you have to ask yourself, what is going to be the result of these words? How can I possibly allow this person to see things differently? Clearly he's doing this because he thinks it's the right thing to do. If I tell him, how could I tell him in a way that he'll hear my words, that his ears will be open, that he'll hear what I'm saying, and the mitzvah is for me to help my friend by showing him the way. And words of criticism, and words of rebuke, and words of tochacha never work. And I say, and this is probably one of the most mispracticed mitzvahs in Kola Tarakula, because it is a very, very difficult mitzvah. Now, on the other hand, 
<clears throat> I can't just say, well, listen, since no one wants your criticism, I'm walking away. I have to be very wise, <clears throat> and I have to ask myself, how could I get this point across? How could I help my friend? I can't sit back <clears throat> and watch him damage himself. I'm responsible. But how could I do it in a way that will actually help him? Let's proceed. <clears throat> the next two mitzvahs, Do not take revenge, and do not take natira. Now, nakama and natira are two different lavim, two different violations of Torah principles. The Gemara explains to us what the differences are. Nakama is when you, when I come to you on Monday and I say, could I borrow your shovel? And you say no. Then you come to me Tuesday and ask to borrow my hoe. And I say, well, listen, fella, yesterday I came to borrow your tool. You wouldn't give it to me. I'm not giving it to you. That's revenge, nakama, because you didn't do X, I'm not going to do Y, that's revenge. Natira is something different. Natira is where Monday I come and say, could I borrow a shovel? And you say no. Tuesday, you come to me and say, could I borrow the hoe? And I say to you, listen, you know what? I'm different than you. Yesterday, you didn't lend me the tool I needed, but I'm different here. You take it. That's Natira. I'm bearing a grudge. I'm remembering what you did wrong to me. And even though I'm actually loaning you the object, I'm remembering it. And the Rishonim explained that I'm obligated to take away totally from my heart any vestige of bad sense, any vestige of bearing this grudge. Now it's interesting that what the Gemara calls Nakama and Natira is not what we normally think about. Normally when we think about that, it's when someone damaged me. When someone hurt me, whether it be stole money from me or embarrassed me <clears throat> or maybe called me a name and I have this desire to avenge my, ooh, I have this need to take back, give him back. That's a given. That's obvious. <clears throat> what the Gemara is referring to is something way more subtle where I asked him for a favor. He didn't grant it to me. I'm still obligated to do a favor to him. I Meaning, of course, I can't take revenge on the active side of punching him or hurting him back, that's a given. <clears throat> We're dealing with something way more subtle. He didn't do a favor for me, and I'm obligated to do a favor. For, why should I do for him? <laughs> he didn't do for me. He didn't do, and I have to do for him? And what the Torah is telling us here is a very interesting principle. I have an obligation of chesed to every Jew. Because you acted in a way that I like or don't like doesn't change my obligations. And if you'd like to take the litmus test of where you're holding being a holy Jew, this is one of the interesting litmus tests. We're all very nice guys, all very nice people to people we like. I'll do a chesed, I'll invite you to my house, I'll give you food, I'll, whatever. I'm, I'm a real nice guy. But that's assuming that you're appropriate, that you're nice, and I like you. What if you're obnoxious? What if you're the kind of person that, you know, I don't really enjoy your company? And what if I've done things for you before and you've been pretty nasty? Am I able to understand that I'm still obligated in chesed the same way? You see, the reason that I'm obligated in chesed is because Hashem wants us to be one unit, one people. As Hashem is the metiv, is the giver, without expecting anything back. And we're supposed to train ourselves in that. And when I do a chesed for another Jew... It's with an understanding of I'm a giver. And it's not because I like you, and not because I owe you, but because I'm training myself in being like Hashem. I'm being a generous, magnanimous person. And the test of how Lashma it is, is when you don't like the person, or he's not appreciative, or there's very good reason for you not to do it. And this, I believe, is one of the classic examples, because Nakama and Atira where I have to do a chesed to the person and totally eradicate from my understanding, number one, that he didn't do it for me, or number two, he did it for me, but I'm still going to do it, and I have to totally eliminate from my knowledge or my operative thought that feeling, and I have to give it to him generously with a sense of giving, is a very, very difficult mitzvah, and this, in fact, is what the mitzvah is. I once heard my Rebbe, Rishivazetzal, ask the following question on this, and that is that if the Torah is warning me, isn't the Torah focused on the wrong person? I mean, let's review again what the Gemara says. The Kama is where I went to Ruvain and said, could I borrow a shovel? He said no. 
The Torah warns me that if he comes tomorrow to borrow something from me, I should pay him back. Case two, I went to borrow a shovel. He didn't loan it to me. The next day he comes to me, I should eradicate the feeling. I shouldn't say, I'm different than you. Because you didn't do it, I'll still do it. That's Natira. Roshiva Zetzal asked that the Torah seems to be focused on the wrong person. He's the one who started it. I came to him. Had he been a mensch, he would have loaned me the shovel. The whole thing wouldn't have started. Why is the Torah picking on me, the second one, He's the one who started it. Torah should say, be generous. <clears throat> Torah should say, why is the Torah picking on the one who's <clears throat> the no-came or the noter, the one who's the recipient? Torah's focus on the wrong end. And Rosh Hashanah explained, and if you focus on the reason behind, you'll understand the mitzvah. If I went to Ruvain and asked him to borrow a shovel and he said no, why did he say no? The answer is, his shovel may be too precious to him, he may not be as generous, he may be a little stingy. It's something he should work on. But when he comes to me and I say no, it's not because my property is too precious to me. It's because of bad midos. I want revenge. <clears throat> I bear that grudge. And that's what the Torah is makbid on. <clears throat> it's that inner condition, that sense of I want revenge. That inner condition, I bear that grudge. That's what the Torah is makbid on. And that actually is the, <clears throat> the losa say. Number seven, <clears throat> to love your friend as yourself. Now, the Ramban on this <coughs> mitzvah is very eye-opening because it explains the Ramban that this mitzvah is commonly misunderstood. The simple reading of this mitzvah is, you shall love your friend as yourself. The problem is, explains the Ramban, it can't be. I cannot possibly love my friend like myself. Self-love, self-interest, self-preservation is the strongest instinct within the human. That's how Hashem created us, number one. Number two, it's not even true. If you and I are on a desert island and there's one canteen, Rabbi Kiva Paskin, Chayecha Kodmim, you're obligated to take care of yourself first. You're not allowed to give that canteen award to your friend. Chayecha Kodmim, you have to take care of yourself first. So it says Ramban, number one, mitzvah is impossible. Number two, it's not true. And explains the Ramban, you have to very carefully read the Pasuk. The Pasuk didn't say, love your neighbor as yourself. The Torah said, love to your neighbor as you do to yourself. Explains the Ramban, the mitzvah is whatever good I have in my life, I should want for my friend. If I have chachma, if I have wisdom, if I have understanding, if I possess whatever good I have, I want for you. I want you to have everything in the world, everything for the best. I love to you as I love to myself, because whatever I have, I want you to have the same. And explains the Ramban that normally what stops us is jealousy. Meaning, let's assume I have all the milas. <clears throat> I have wisdom, I have possessions, I have wealth, I have covered normally I'll allow my friends to have some of them. I want you to have wisdom, but not covered. <clears throat> I'll let you have honor, but not money. I mean, there's a certain area that's mine. And that explains that Ramban comes from jealousy. And if we eliminate that jealousy from our heart, <clears throat> then we could train ourselves to have a sense, whatever is good, I want you to have. <clears throat> I want you to have everything in the, that's to the best. <clears throat> everything imaginable. And Hashem Zetzal often would say that the key and the fulfillment of this mitzvah is we're one unit. I'm with you. I'm with you in your joy. I'm with you in your tragedy. When I go to a wedding, I'm with you. It's your simcha. It's my simcha. We're together because I want everything good for you. And I'm happy with you. Why am I happy with you? Because I want everything good for you. Rahman on something bad happens to you. I'm with you in that tragedy. I'm with you in that loss. Why? Because I want everything good for you. And, and, and this isn't good. And I feel your pain. And this mitzvah is to feel bonded, to feel one, and to feel an unbridled sense of, I want everything best for my friend. And this, again, is a very difficult mitzvah. Because again, when it comes to people I know, people I like, people who I get along well with, or maybe people who are good to me, it's maybe simple enough to fulfill this. But what if I don't like him? I don't like the way he speaks. I don't like the way he looks. I don't like the way he walks. I don't like the way he talks to me. I, I think it's audacious what he said to me. And I think the way he mistreated me or my friends or whatever is mamish chutzpah. It's a very, very difficult mitzvah to fulfill. And this brings us to the point that I would really like to focus on in all of these mitzvahs, these eight mitzvahs. And that is the reason why typically we have a lot of trouble with this, these kinds of mitzvahs is because we make a fundamental mistake in who we are. And I'll explain to you what I mean. Imagine the following. 
Imagine you're walking down the street, and all of a sudden you hear a voice. A voice coming from somewhere. Hey, you! Huh? You look around. Who said that? Huh? You! Hey, hey, who said that? Huh? You walk a little further, and again, hey, psst, you! Talking to you! Huh? You look around. No one there. Oh, my goodness. And imagine for a minute, <clears throat> you heard this voice. <clears throat> this voice started speaking to you, <clears throat> started calling you by name, and started <clears throat> telling you all kinds of things. If this went on for long enough, you'd find yourself a psychiatrist, uh, <clears throat> put yourself into a mental hospital, because when you're hearing voices in your head, uh, that's a little frightening. One of the biggest mistakes that we human beings make <clears throat> is exactly that mistake. And let me explain to you what I mean. Let's look at one of these mitzvahs we just discussed. We had eight <clears throat> of the most <clears throat> demanding mitzvahs imaginable. Let's take the mitzvah called B'Tzedek Tish Paramitecha. Judge your neighbor favorably. And let's even imagine, let's go back to my case, only because it's the one I mentioned. I'm giving a schmooze, and a guy in the front row is texting. Now, in my mind, my mind says to me, hey, he's texting. Now, what if I had the presence of mind to say, well, come on, maybe it's not texting, maybe, who knows what? And the voice is like, no, 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 he's texting. No, he's not, who knows what? Uh, You know, maybe I don't know what's happening, whatever, who knows? No, I'm telling you, I know what's happening. He's texting, no question, that's what he's doing. And if you ever pay careful attention, you'll notice that your mind thinks certain thoughts that oftentimes you don't want to think. You ever have a jealous thought that you didn't want to have and you wanted to stop it, but you couldn't help yourself? Or maybe you had a thought of some some desire. You didn't want the desire, but your mind thought it. The Cheshman and Nefesh explains that we make a mistake. We think with a brain. And we think that when the brain talks, that's me. He explains you're making a fundamental error. I am the one inside this body. And the brain is a tool that I use, but it's a tool that other forces within me use as well. And there's a mida called kas, called anger. And when someone says something, that mida called kas takes over my brain and begins thinking thoughts. He's a creep, and he's nasty, and what he did was so evil. But it's not me. You see, I, the neshama, I, the one who thinks, I'm the one who's conscious, sometimes control my brain, but sometimes other forces contain it. And sometimes other forces take control. And if you'd like a marshal to understand this, imagine I'm riding a horse. If I'm a skilled rider, a skilled horseman, I make the horse go exactly where I want it to go. I make it stop when I want to stop. I make it gallop. I control the horse. If I'm not so skilled, well, sometimes the horse takes me where I don't want to go. And sometimes it stops when I don't want it to stop. The mind is a very powerful machine. And sometimes I make it go where I want. And sometimes various other forces make it go where I don't want. There may be hungers, appetites, desires, midos, many things that will grab control of my mind, and the thoughts in my mind often are not me. The thoughts in my mind are often drawn by other forces. And let's focus on three of these mitzvahs and see why exactly this principle is the esod. This mitzvah of judging my friend favorably. And what that means is, when my mind says, come on, you know what happened. No, I don't want to think that. Come on, cut it out. You know it. No, I don't want to think that. Come on, you know it. No, I don't want to think that. And that's exactly an example. Don't hate your neighbor. But look what he did. Look what he did. Do you understand what he did? Do you understand what he did? Do you understand? Do you know? And my mind is being taken over. And the thoughts in my brain are beginning to drag me. The brain is something that as long as I'm in this body will pull me with it. And when that desire, whether it be jealousy or anger or whatever the feeling is that causes my brain to think those thoughts, then I'm thinking them along with it and I'm being pulled because I'm on top of that horse and wherever the horse goes, I go as well. And when you begin understanding this, you begin understanding the human is a very difficult mitzvah. is a very difficult mitzvah. But all of these mitzvahs are much easier than don't take revenge, don't bear a grudge. Because don't bear a grudge means he really did something wrong to me. And I have to control my mind. I have to control my thoughts. 
I have to stop thinking those thoughts that keep bugging me. Remember what he did. Look what he did. Remember what he did. And those thoughts play over like a broken recorder over and over and over. And learning to control your thoughts is one of the keys for self-improvement and one of the keys to growth. And the only way you can really learn to control your thoughts is by recognizing that I'm not the brain. I'm the one housed inside this body. Temporarily, I'm in this. And that mind that I have, that brain that I have, sometimes I control, sometimes it controls me. And when I make that difficult step, I then recognize that many of the thoughts that I think are not me, and I can begin realizing how it is that I control them. As an example, that hopefully maybe brings this a little bit clearer, I have a muscle that I think is very eye-opening. Here's the question. Mirza Hashem will all have a long life, 120 years, but at a certain point we all will leave this earth, and I, the one who's thinking, the one who occupies this body, will separate, and I'll stand in front of Beit Din Shamala, answer to Hashem for what I've done, what I haven't done. Here's the question. In the world to come, what color are my eyes? What color? Are they blue, brown, hazel? What, what color are they? Well, the answer is no color. Why? <clears throat> because in the world to come, I don't occupy a body. I, <clears throat> with all of my conscious thoughts, <clears throat> I, the one who feels, I, the one who tell my arms and legs to move, separate, but the body is buried. I'm not husky, nor slim, not tall, <clears throat> not short, not agile, nor clumsy. <clears throat> I am a neshama, I am a personality, I, the one who am inside this body, separate, the body's buried, and I leave it. Okay? Just like my arms and legs don't come with me, what about my brain? Now, I've never been in an autopsy, but it is my firm belief that when they bury the body, the brain is buried with it. Because those 100 billion neurons called the brain make up an organ. That organ is made of flesh and blood. <clears throat> that organ has certain parameters, certain definitions, certain <clears throat> things that it does and things that it doesn't do. And at a certain point, it dies. But I am not the brain. When it is buried, when it's put in the ground, I separate. And that's a huge step forward in understanding why. <clears throat> because then I understand that I think through the brain. I'm <clears throat> put into the brain, limited by it. But when it dies, I separate. And when you come to this understanding, life itself takes on a very, very different understanding. Most people are incapable or have never learned how to control their thoughts. You have many psychological issues that are caused by much depression is caused by not being able to control your thoughts. Most people who are clinically depressed are clinically depressed because there are tapes in their brain that play damaging thoughts. I'm worthless, I'm no good, <clears throat> life stinks, I never do anything well, I'm no good, I'm no good, I'm no good, I'm no good. And the ability to control those thoughts, to say, no, I don't want to think those thoughts now, <clears throat> is something that most people have never mastered, <clears throat> and it's something that can change your life in radical, major ways. Now, clearly, a human being can control them, because there are at least three mitzvahs over here, if not five, that are 100% dependent upon controlling your thoughts. <clears throat> Judge your neighbor favorably. Judge your neighbor favorably means that I don't want to. I do, I don't. I look at it, and I'm obligated to control my mind. My mind says, come on, I know this guy. I know what's happening over here. And I'm obligated to say no. And especially if he's a righteous person. <clears throat> I'm obligated, even if it looks bad, even if it looks suspicious, I'm obligated to say no. I will not think that thought. And if you'd like to see one of the greatest examples of this, the Pasuk says that Yitzhak loved Esav. The Tzvonah explains, obviously, he loved Yaakov more because Yaakov was the Ishtam, Yoshev Olim, Yaakov was the Tzadik, Esav certainly wasn't. But nevertheless, Yitzhak still loved Esav. Now here's the question. Esav was a pretty wicked individual. Esav was a fellow who was, um, you know, it was pretty clear where he was holding. Now, even if you tell me that he did his best to fool Yitzhak, at the end of the day, there were many, many things, many, many questions, many, you know, again, it was his son. He was living with him on a daily basis. 
How is it possible that Yitzhak didn't realize where this guy was at? And the answer is that Yitzhak had many, many questions, but they remained open questions. And probably Yitzhak was aware that <clears throat> these questions were not, they were leaning to one side, but the ability to keep it as an open, I don't know for, for a fact. Until I see factually what happened, I don't know. To view myself as a judge. If I'm going to judge someone, a judge has an obligation. Bring me the evidence. If I were a judge in court and someone accused someone of murder, I would say, prove it to me. Let me hear, bring the witnesses, bring the proof. I would analyze. Do you really, were you there? Did you see? <clears throat> Could you show me? Prove to me that you were there. Prove to me you had a good view. Maybe you're lying. If I were a judge on a situation, I would be very demanding for proof. And what the Torah is telling me is, in any situation that I'm dealing with another Jew, if I'm judging him, there's a burden of proof. And if I don't have that level of proof, don't go making assumptions, don't go making presumptions, don't go jumping to conclusions. What Yitzhak did was he practiced this on a daily basis. There were many, many things that Esav did that looked pretty shady, that looked pretty mm, not scrupulous. And every one of them remained an open question. Until I have proof, it remains a question. <clears throat> it's leaning towards one side. <clears throat> he's obviously not on the level of Yaakov, but I don't have a right to assume he's a Russia. And that ability to control your thinking, the ability to control the thoughts in your mind, <clears throat> is what the Torah demands on us <clears throat> in this mitzvah called B'Tzedek Tishvara But the Torah also demands more. <clears throat> don't hate your neighbor assuming he did something wrong. No one hates anyone without basis. The question is, is the basis of my hatred justified by the Torah's understanding? Well, he cheated me in business, or he insulted me, or he didn't give me the honor I deserve, and I hate him for it. Now that's a problem. And if I allow that to happen, I violated a losa say. <clears throat> it's something that's forbidden, it's forbidden as wearing shatnas, it's forbidden as eating tray food, but what can I do? Those thoughts run through my mind. I hate him. Maybe I won't punch him. Maybe I won't act on it. But how can I not hate him? And the answer is because I can control my brain. Because the thoughts of my brain that say, I hate him, I dislike him, are things that I can control. I can retrain. I could stop them. I can think positive thoughts. I can tell myself, how do I know? Am I allowed to hate him? I'm not. And I could train my mind to do what it should do and work as it should. And finally, the most difficult, probably of all of them, <clears throat> I want everything in the world for you to be good. <clears throat> I want the best for you. <clears throat> I want you to have riches and honor and success. Life should shower you with only good. <laughs> After what he did to me. After what he said to me. That creep. I want him. <sighs> and that's a very difficult mitzvah. <clears throat> it's very difficult when people are nice to us to genuinely want their good. But it's a mitzvah that requires practice, and it's a mitzvah that we can accomplish. The Torah would never obligate us in a mitzvah that we can't possibly accomplish. And one of the great secrets to accomplish Kamocha is to, at least once a day, if not more often, think exactly those thoughts. I want all the best in the world to happen for all of my, all of my friends, entire Jewish nation. I want only what's good. I want everything to be for the best. I want everyone to have good and be showered with tremendous bracha in everything that they do. And if you think those thoughts at least once a day, and maybe even more often, and you train yourself, especially when someone does something wrong, and someone does something that's really hurtful to you, and you train yourself to think in your mind, I wish for his best. I wish everything for his best. I wish he should have everything, money and honor and success and hatzlach and everything. You're training yourself to fulfill that mitzvah. And when you control your thoughts and you're the master of the ship, you begin learning how to be a proper horseman. You learn how to control that horse and you learn to bring it where you want it to be brought. When you read about Sadiqim, when you read about Gedolim who had tremendous love, who had tremendous tolerance for others. What you're watching is a person who worked years and years and years learning to control his thoughts, learning to be the master of a ship, learning to be the one who tells his brains what thoughts we will think and what thoughts we won't. And these eight mitzvahs, I think, are very, very telling because every one of them are not easily fulfilled. 
you know, if I'm not in the mood to put on tefillin, I still put it on. Okay, get up in the morning, put it on tefillin. If I'm not in a good mood, I could still put on tzitzit. <clears throat> it's something I do. It's an, an outer movement. I tell my body we're going to do it, and we do it. But all of these eight are not really outer-conditioned situations. <clears throat> not taking revenge, not bearing a grudge, <clears throat> not standing by while my neighbor is being hurt. Every one of these are inner conditions. They're based on a sense of <clears throat> feeling responsibility, feeling a sense of attachment, recognizing that we're one nation, but they require controlling my mind, <clears throat> controlling my brain, and what they do <clears throat> is change the essence of me. Our job at the end of the day is to be as much like Hashem as we can be, and one of the <clears throat> functions of everything we do is to be like Hashem. These particular mitzvahs are very, very life-shaping and very, very potent because they demand control, control of the inner essence, control of who I am. When a person does it, he becomes more like Hashem. Let me close with one last step because I think it well encapsulates all of these concepts. Unculus Targum explains this posuk that we've read in a very interesting way. The posuk says, after Give your friend rebuke. Do not bear iniquity because of him. And if you look in the Unculus, the Unculus says, Do not receive a chov, a derogatory demerit because of him. Explains the Targum, what the Torah is saying is, if you watch your neighbor doing something wrong, help him. Don't sit back and help him do it right so that you're not held responsible for what he did wrong. Now this targum is very, very difficult to understand. Let's imagine that my next door neighbor one day wakes up and says, you know something, I'm headed right to McDonald's. And I watch him, he gets in the car, drives to McDonald's, orders a cheeseburger and wolfs it down. And let's assume I could have influenced him for the good. And he would listen to me, and I didn't. What the targum is saying is that if I don't rebuke him, and I could have, I received a demerit. Now, wait a minute. He ate the cheeseburger, not me. What, what's, what's, what's the beef with me? What, what's, why is the Torah saying that I get a demerit? And the Derech Hashem explains that the concept of Kol Yisrael Arevim Zilla as a means, we're bound as one unit. We're responsible for one another, <clears throat> held accountable, and if I could have been the one to influence him properly and I didn't, then it comes onto my scorecard, not just because I sat back and could have helped and didn't, but because we're all in this boat together. We're all in a ship together. If you go down, I go down. Now, if I'm honest, if I couldn't have done anything about it, Hashem won't hold me responsible. But if I could have, we're all in this boat together. If you go down, I go down. The Chavetz Chaim once gave a marshal. man was on an ocean cruiser, and he had a private cabin. And one day they heard noise from his cabin. And they knocked on the door, no answer. Knocked on the door again, no answer. And they hear drilling and, and sawing. Finally, the captain said, break down the door. They broke down the door. And they see the guy with a pneumatic jackhammer <clears throat> breaking into the hull of the ship. And the captain says, what are you doing? The man looks up to the captain and says, what do you mean, what am I doing? I paid for this private cabin. I'm drilling a hole in the hull, in the, in the boat. I want to I get some water in here. I want to get some... The captain says, what are you, crazy? If you drill a hole, <clears throat> the water's going to come in. It's going to drown the entire ship. The man says, what do I care? I paid for this cabin. I want to do it. Explains the Chavetz Chaim, one unit. The Klai Sol, one nation, one people. If I drill a hole in my cabin, I take down the unit with me. Everyone goes down. Again, if someone couldn't have stopped, that's one thing. But means one unit bound together, one nation. I'm responsible for you. And if I could have made the difference and I didn't, then I'm held accountable, <clears throat> I'm held responsible, and it's on my scorecard you're eating a cheeseburger. And this concept, I think, is very eye-opening because <clears throat> what it explains to us is that the Jewish nation is much more bound together than we thought. We're much more <clears throat> connected, <clears throat> much more attached, we're much more obligated one to another. All of these mitzvahs are my relationship to you, what I'm obligated to do for you, <clears throat> what I'm obligated not to do. I don't speak words of Lashon Hara. I don't speak words of Rechilis because they're damaging. We're one unit. I wouldn't cut my own hand. Why would I cut you? <clears throat> I don't stand by when your money 
or your life is endangered because if it was me, I wouldn't do it. Obviously, I'm not going to do it to you. All of these mitzvahs, I wouldn't judge myself negatively. Obviously, I don't judge you negatively. They're all based on one isod. Well, one unit, I wouldn't want it for me, I don't want it for you. And the summation of all of it is via haftal riach kamocha. Again, explains Ramban that that too is a mitzvah klolius. As kedoshim to you is a broad sweeping mitzvah, <clears throat> so too via haftal riach kamocha is a klal gadol b'torah. Why? Because it well defines much of our obligations, it well defines our relationship, and it is a huge principle in the Torah, and it applies to many, many situations. And if you'll say to me, I, it's very nice, and it's wonderful, but it's impossible. What the Torah is demanding us is beyond human ability. I think it's the first Ramban that we have to focus on. See, what the Ramban there was telling us, Kedoshim Tiyu is not difficult. It's not difficult to be holy. Within you is an neshama that's pure. Within you is an neshama that knows exactly what to do. Within you is an neshama that only wants to do what's good, what's right, what's proper. It's being pulled after this world. It's allowing your mind and your desires to control you that ruins you. But if you don't do that, within you is a lofty, holy neshama that will allow you to see another Jew as a part of you, that will allow you to take care of his needs, that will allow you to do for him whatever you can. That's instinctual, that's natural. What we have to do is we have to control the other part. We have to control the desires, control the needs, and more than anything, control our brain. Control our thoughts and recognize that I am the master of the ship and I am the one who will tell my mind what will be thought about and what won't be. May Baruch Hu grant us the wisdom, the strength to put this into practice.